Okay, Mr. Jack Berry is on the podcast today and it's been a minute since I've done one of these. There's been a lot happening in my life and um, I was looking for someone to come on the podcast that I knew had something really powerful to say and I've known Jack for probably like four and a half five, years. Five, five years. years. Five and a half years now, I think. And I've seen Jack's journey. Um, I'll let him introduce himself in a second in whichever way he would like to. But I think like the one thing I think about when you come to my mind and it's, I've told you before, but I want the listeners to know is Jack has an amazing tendency to be able to, I just think you put action into what you say. And the first time that I really saw this in you was when you told me in first year, I think, that you were going to save up for a van. And I was like, he already had a car and you wanted this van and you were going to, you know, do it up. And um, the fact that you wanted a van and a car, I was like, whoa, this is a bit crazy. And I kind of doubted you. I was like, I don't know if this Jack guy is really going to do that. Is he just talking, talking a bit of shit? But... That was kind of like a year later and you kind of put your mind to it. I know you're working as like a groundskeeper. You were doing all these different kinds of things. And I was walking back from the gym and you were going along that path and then you like stopped me and you were like showing me the papers. Yeah, and show you a photo of it, yeah. You showed me that you'd done it. And in that moment, I realized that you were the kind of person that really takes action and you follow through with what you're going to say. Um, yeah, and I think that's an amazing quality. So welcome, Jack. And <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks. Feel free to yeah introduce yourself. Yeah, it has been four and a half years, not five and a half, four and a half years. Four and but a half, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's an interesting story, though, and I think we can we can get into that. But um, yeah, I'm Jack. I'm two and a half years through my degree. Just hit the halfway point uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've been on campus now for yeah, close to five years. I met Ben. Um, I met you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I'm getting into, <laughs> into the conversation. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's I, I, met, right. I met you um, in first year. Mm -hmm. In your first year, I was in vet tech um, on halls, as well as same with Lauren and, and Nemo, two other great guests you've had on. Shout out to those guys. So cool. Um, it was super cool hearing their voices again. Um, yeah, I'm just kicking around. Two years in vet tech, jumped into vet. Um, and yeah, now I'm cruising. Now I'm trying to push through and enjoy my time and yeah, yeah, that's you, that's me. You were saying that you were kicking around. Kicking around, yeah. In the kicking first around. two years, what do you for the listeners like? What does that mean? Well, yeah, that's that's an interesting, that's an interesting story. That um, so, my goal was to get into into vet, um, and in my first year in 2019, um, in my first semester particularly, I went through a bunch of really crazy stuff. Um, some really dark periods in my life um, and there was a few points that just sort of collected together that meant um, I couldn't really progress how I wanted to progress in my first semester. Um, I missed an exam. I just, you know, I was, I was actually um, on the Gold Coast and I was in treatment for mental health at the time that, that exam was happening. Um, and so I missed that exam and I, I didn't apply for a deferred exam. That was 25% of one of my courses gone and um, I hadn't been studying and that sort of thing. And so in my first semester, I decided um, 
one of the tutors actually marched me up to the vet school and said, right, like we need to, fi like we need to fix this. And so I withdrew my subjects um, in my first semester of, of uni, which, which was crazy to me because I'd spent so long trying to get there and it was this huge achievement and I was able to get away from the environment that I was in at home and get into a safe space at uni and it was all sort of taken from me a little bit. But I withdrew that first year and I just to maintain my GPA so I wouldn't kill it. Um, and then my next year I did the subjects that was required um, to get 10 subjects in order to transfer. You need eight mm -hmm. subjects minimum, mm -hmm. but yeah, so I did my subjects, got into, got into vet, um, and then the cycle sort of all, you know, flipped and, and it was a whole new experience there. So yeah, it wasn't, wasn't kicking around in the sense that it was like a fun sort of time. Um, it was always. a hard time for you more than yeah. anything, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really, that first semester was probably one of the hardest times of my life. Um, I was in a really, really, really bad place. Um, and that was sort of hard because I felt like it was a bit out of my control. Um, it was interesting, I sort of, I was listening to the first episode with you and you, you, you told me about your story and, and how that, that hardship and I was, as I was listening to that, I was reflecting on particularly that time in my first semester. So yeah, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't kicking around so much, but now I'm sort of kicking around, I'm enjoying myself, but yeah, it was hard in that first two years. Was, was it hard in the fact that you knew that you had more to give as well? Because I knew after I'd kind of learned about you that you you did have that and I think you really knew that too but you weren't seeing the results in those first two years and I think was that the hard bit it was hard on yourself I in don't, that way as well I don't think that was the hard bit for me it's funny you say mm. that because I remember I sort of looked back on that when I when I first got into into you know uni and mind you like I didn't I didn't go to high school right like I dropped out in year eight and and you didn't go to high school? I didn't go to high school. No, I dropped out in year eight. Um, Wait. <laughs> yeah, so basically um, things were sort of like I grew up in a bit of a rough um, environment. I grew up in a housing commission on the Gold Coast. Um, my father was into heavy drugs and that sort of thing. So like it wasn't always stable for me um, and I just resented academia and I still do in a sense. Um, and so I decided year eight, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to drop out. Um, and then a few years later, I was 15 and I was sitting in my room for like 22 hours a day, get up to make food, you know, and that's about it. And I had this moment where I was like an epiphany. I liken, I liken it to people who, you know, commit crimes or whatever and they, and they go to um, jail and then they have like this moment of God, they say. Mm. And that was sort of my moment. I said, I'm going to get into vet. So I kicked around, when, you know. When was this? This what was grade? when I was, I was 15. I wasn't going to. You were 15 and you decided you were going to do vet. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't in school at the time. Did you believe it? I did. I did believe it because I had no choice. Um, and so I did that and now mind you, I hated school. When I was in year three, I threw my shoes and socks out the window on the way to school so that when we got there, mum wouldn't have to make me go. Sort of thing. <laughs> no, like it was, it was bad, man. Like the police used to come to my house and say like, if you don't go to school in your mum's car, you can go to school in our car. And right so now. I used to go to school in my mum's car and I'd walk in the front gate, walk out the back and catch the bus home. And I, like, that was the attitude. It's like, no one can tell me what to do. But I decided I wanted to be a vet for whatever reason it just came to me. Um, I looked up at the ceiling and was like, I'm gonna do something with my life. What did you, why did you think you wanted to be a vet? What did, what did you see that a vet had that made you go, I wanna be that? Especially in this hard time, there mm. must've been some sort of attributes or values that you saw that vets had that maybe you wanted, is that yeah. fair to say? That's a, that's a good question. And I think that sort of leads, that also sort of doubles back into the later stages when I was in vet tech. But, but when I was 15, I was like, I didn't have a lot of a sense of self-worth. Like I didn't feel like I was worth anything to anyone. 
Mm. Um, and, and at the time, I honestly, I can say that I really, like, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't, you know, going any, undergoing any training. I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, tra- you know, training towards a field or apprenticeship, any of those things. And, and I looked at, I remember I opened up the QTAC book that I'd received from Merrimack High School. Um, and I saw Vet Science OP1. Yeah. And I thought, what is the kind of person that would get into OP1? And I honestly imagine someone like you. I imagine someone who takes care of themselves, t- someone who goes to school, someone who is dedicated, someone who works hard for something that is purposeful, someone that, you know, genuinely wants to make something of themselves. Um, and I realized that it, w- it was less about getting into Vet and competing with those people. And it was less about doing what I had to do in my current form as a 15 year old and more about building myself into a person that could get into vet. Mm. So I didn't want to get into vet just to get into vet. I wanted, I realized that I had to build myself into someone that could get an OP one or could get, you know, whatever it was in, in vet tech to get across. And so, yeah, it was, it was honestly like, I didn't have any family that worked in a vet clinic. I didn't, I'd never been into a vet clinic in my life besides one or two times to take my dog in. Mm -hmm. So it was more about the actual challenge of making something of myself and be, becoming someone who could do that. So how did you start? I had to go to school. You had to go to school. I had yeah. to go to school. I had to, go, I had to do the one thing that I hated most. I used to get on the train every morning, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and bus up to, um, train up to Eagleby Learning College, which is an accelerated learning college um, in Eagleby, um, a lower income area. There was a lot of kids there who were illiterate to a year one or two level and they were my age and I was 15, 16 at this time. So that, that process also gave me a, a real sense of privilege that I had, that you know, like I do have a capacity to make myself better. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot through that process. But yeah, I went to school. Um, I did year 10 in six months and then I did year 11 and 12 in six months each. So I was able to graduate on time, even though I'd taken two years off. Um, and then I went to TAFE for six months to get my chemistry prerequisite. And then I got into vet tech um, overcame the hurdles in my first year and jumped into vet. So that was the process. That's the whole, that's the whole story of how I am where I am, really. You, that's really difficult things to do. Mm. How did you, you know, you must have been like really strong-minded or what was it that made you want to keep, like, keep doing this? Strong-minded is a funny word and, um, there's a better word I'll describe for it, and I think the word is stubborn. Mm-hmm. When I was, I was actually, um, I was living with someone who I won't name, but I owe my, you know, my whole life to. Um, in the end of 2019, after halls closed down because I didn't have anywhere else to go, mm. and she looked at me and said, "Jack, you know, you've achieved all this shit, not because you're overly brilliant, not because you're the smartest person in the room, and not because you're the most studious, but because you're bloody stubborn. If you want to do something, no matter what, you, you do it." And I, and I sort of. Obviously, that was gassing me up at the time, and I was like, oh, you know, it feels pretty good. But when I thought about it, I, I just knew that my alternative was to go back to the life that I had and that a life of no purpose, a life of no substance, a life that was making me unhappy. And that I'd seen my family members fall into, um, you know, the grips of drugs and, and crime and, and, um, and that sort of thing. And I knew that that was my alternative. So it was either that or that. There was no in between for me. So every day I would remind myself, you know, on the train, this is what I'm doing. And it actually became more about the challenge of doing it than it actually became what a vet did. Mm-hmm. There was years there where I didn't even contemplate what I'd be doing after I graduate. I wouldn't visualize doing surgeries. I'd just be visualized getting out of where I was. Yeah. 
So it was using those challenges. It was using sort of the broader spectrum to push me in the right direction, to realize, well, I can do this or I can do nothing. And everyone will choose to do something. So does VET make you happy now? Yeah. Is it the fact that you've, I suppose it's the fact that one, you've made it to this position, but now that you're in this position, how lucky do you feel and how does the VET degree yeah, make you feel? It makes me feel amazing. It makes me feel like, like I look at you and I look at Grace, your housemate, and I look at um, people like Dan Shull, I look at people in my cohort. Um, I could name so many in my cohort, um, especially that are brilliant people. And I look at them and think, I am myself, but I'm also, I made it with you guys. Mm. You guys all deserve to be here. And that gives me a sense of value because I'm there as well. So it makes me feel really good about myself and that I was able to overcome those challenges. Um, and I really love what vet science has given me, like such so much enjoyment. There's, there's, like, I don't, I don't honestly don't care about some of the things they teach. Like, you know, in my first year, I, I couldn't tell you what the sartorius muscle connects to anymore. Like I didn't care about that sort of stuff. But going to uni um, and being in a safe environment, being around people who care about me and want the best for me, um, has brought me a lot of security and a lot of enjoyment in my life. So I do really enjoy VET for that and I enjoy what it is gonna be. I'm so I'm so excited. Like now that the challenge is gone, I actually start thinking about what I'm gonna do and man, I'm, I'm frothing. But yeah, no, I, I enjoy it. I really do enjoy what I'm doing. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So it's amazing. do you think you have a purpose from all of this or? Are you still looking for that now? Um, yeah, I do. I do think I have a purpose. Um, I think the purpose came to me in that moment when I was 15. Um, in fact, that moment came to me from a lack of purpose mm -hmm. because it wasn't as if, um, you know, everything was terrible and, you know, and it, it wasn't like the whole world was broken. There were people who were trying to help me and were people who would tell me, you know, to go to school and that sort of thing. Um, and to make something of my life. And I just didn't have it internally. So there was no way anyone could force me to do something I didn't want to do because I had no reason to do it. But when I became, when, I, when this thought came to me of being a vet, it's like, okay, if you aren't gonna do something with your life and you don't have the capacity to figure it out, you may as well do something for someone else. And so that my purpose then became, okay, I'm gonna contribute to society in just any way. And over time, that's grown into a passion for a spectrum of care and lower income communities um, and servicing people who would otherwise have no hope. And I believe that my purpose um, is to be myself and take the lessons that I've learned as an individual from my individual background and give back to people who come from my background. And for me, that might mean just being a GP um, in a lower income suburb and providing, you know, silver standard alternatives or yeah, just, just sort of providing something to people who also have no hope or who have, you know, a sense of purpose in their animal um, and just, yeah, doing something that is greater than myself, making use of what I am, no matter what that ends up being, if, if that sort of makes it a bit of a convoluted answer, but yeah. my purpose is to do, you know, is to, to be something um, and to give back to, to give back to um, people who are in similar situations and need a sense of purpose, yeah. Who, you kind of said, you know, there's certain people that you look up to in your year. And I, I think it's really cool now that you're 
you are one of those people, right? Now there's people that look up to you. I look up to you. Your journey is amazing. But if you had to describe who you are, how would you do that? That's a really tough one. And I think that's one that I, I think about a lot. And I think that question for me, the first thought is, who do I think I am? I'm already thinking that of a, of a lens of like, do, do I reflect on others what I want to reflect on them? In the sense that- I think about this a lot. Too. Do I want people to feel, do people feel or, or get feelings from me that I want them to feel like? I want them to feel happy. I want them to feel safe. I want them to feel, you know, like they can laugh. And I worry that a lot of times people think I'm arrogant. People think that, you know, I make jokes for everything and that I don't care about them or that I'm loud or that I talk over. And so I constantly have this like real deep social anxiety of who I am as a person, not reflecting what I want. Because well, I, want, I want nothing more than to be good for those people. But I worry and think about these things as well. Mm. And for me too, I think about the fact that people have this idea that I'm the conscious vet. Mm. And that's my goal to be that and it puts the pressure on you that I have to make people feel a certain way and I have to be this person all the time and I get disappointed when I think I haven't done that. I think it's a really hard thing to be that person all the time and I yep. think we all probably think about that. I want people to be happy and I want to light people up and mm. I want people to know yeah. they're amazing. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes when I don't do that, I'm like, oh, have yeah. I failed today? Yeah. I think, I think that's really been the story of like my identity over the last five years. I think like obviously you and I are very similar, but also very different. And we've, also, we've always sort of found our own separate circles. Um, and I've always admired you, um, you know, and what you do. And I've always admired others. But I've always sort of found like who I am as a person and what people think of me isn't how I think of myself. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely been a challenging thing, you know, like a form of self-identity. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, how people feel about me is different to how I want. I was actually listening to a different podcast um, called The Imperfects and um, this, this guy was on that and he was saying about your response to situations that make you uncomfortable, social situations. Mm. And I, I genuinely feel unsafe socially at uni. Like it's taken a long time for me to feel comfortable being around people. And he said there's two responses to that. One is silence and one is violence. Either you can close down and say nothing or you can go over the top and make jokes and, you know, make fun of, you know, other things or sometimes do things at people's expense. What do you think you're trying? Well, which way do you think you go? Yeah. Definitely, definitely violence in that, in that sense of like, um, you know, in vet school, like everyone is, you know, like a lot of times beaten down. A lot of people are, you know... Um, sort of not having a great time and it's like, well, if I can go in there and, you know, like make a joke in class or do something funny or say something funny or do that sort of thing, then it'll be better for everyone. Um, but sometimes for me, I worry that that in vet school doesn't come off and I'm just, you know, I start to worry. Do people think I'm really arrogant, that sort of thing. So yeah, that's, that's sort of my worry with that. You know, is it, am I reflecting, if I'm putting out into the vet school atmosphere what I want um, and it's not, it's not always like you want to fix things and you want to be good and you want to have good feelings come from you, but it doesn't always go that way. And that's been a big challenge for me in vet school, I think. We all do that and yeah. know that you're not, you know, by mm. yourself 
looking into things probably too much as well. Yeah. I think you're a very humorous guy and a lot of people say that, you know, you have a lot of good things to to say about them. You always like G people up and I always feel like good when <laughs> when I'm around you. Thanks, man. So I, I wouldn't, it. you know, look yeah. into it too much. But it is extremely hard yeah. to to do that. Yeah, I think like obviously I think that that conversation can go so deep, but I think that really is a symptom of like self-identity, like you were saying, like who am I? Um, and in that situation, I am, I try to be those things. And that's that's that reflection, you know, like who am I? I'm someone who thinks about these things. And um, I, was, I was talking to my psychologist about it, who's been amazing, like absolutely amazing. Um, and she she sort of asks like, what do you, think of other people when they like when you sit next to people in lectures like I sit next to Grace sometimes in lectures mm. um, and so my psych psychologist asked me does Grace have an inherent value or you know Pranav or um, you know Katie or any other friends who sit next to in classes do they have an inherent value sitting there next to you do you just enjoy the company and I said yes and she said do you feel like they enjoy your company and I said no like, I don't feel like I am safe enough to be myself in those situations. And a lot of people in vet school don't feel safe enough, whether it be in their knowledge as vets, whether it be in, you know, what grade they got in to get there, mm. whether their parents are putting pressure on them and they don't feel like that rug can be pulled, whether they feel like they don't have a social group. I, I personally don't feel safe socially as myself or adjusted enough. And so in order to do that, I sort of overcompensate. Um, you know, and other people do that with their grades. They don't feel worthy enough. They don't feel safe in their position as vets. So they try, they have to get sevens and they have to mm -hmm. make their parents proud and they have to know all the answers. So yeah, it's, it comes down to a safety thing. You have this journey, which is probably a lot different to a lot of people. And you can see, I can see that you can see the love for the industry and you have that. What do you think other people need to do do to have that love for the industry and what if someone's like struggling to see that what sort of advice would you give i think there's two there's two answers to that one one comes from a practical standpoint in that vet students are very quickly shown the negatives of the industry mm -hmm. um and we don't we don't need to do that as much i think personally like obviously we need to be aware of the issues of what we're going into, we need to be aware. But we don't need to be telling vet students, or I've, I've done this myself, you know, a student asked me what loco is like in first year. Oh, you know, like loco and digestion is so hard. Like second semester is so much harder than first semester. Um, you know, I went on my, on my um, reflection day in my first year, I went to a clinic and the vet told me regarding my enthusiasm, oh, you just haven't been broken down enough yet. Mm. So the vet industry, you know, in order to maintain that love, because everyone goes into vet with love, mm -hmm. in order to maintain that love, we need to stop breaking it down in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the second thing is is really also reframing the challenges that, that get there. Um, you know, like if you have an animal that, that dies under your care because you've made a mistake, that might cause you to fall out of love. If you fail an exam, that you studied really hard for that might cause you to fall out of love for it. Um, but reframing those, those challenges as, okay, well, I can learn from this, I can improve from this, and this, this incident does not negate who I am or my love for the industry. Like you need to reframe that and separate your love for veterinary care 
to the actual outcomes that you're that you're encountering because you, you can just say oh well the industry needs to change and we need to stop you know throwing young vets into the fire it starts with you yeah it's, yeah, n- it's not going to happen overnight yeah. mm-hmm. it's not going to happen overnight where vets are going to graduate one year and they're always going to be able to maintain their love for the industry from external causes they have to be set up to say okay look, you're going to encounter shit things you're going to encounter vets who are going to you know put you down you know for whatever reason because they're unhappy themselves or yeah. But you need to say that this is not this does not reflect my love for the industry. I love what I do. It's going to suck sometimes, but I love it. You need to you need to sort of reframe that yourself. I think having your own self awareness for like your the work you do, because mm. I'm very I think I've grown to become pretty good at that. And when I hear people talking negatively about the industry or you know a, an exam or a rotation, whatever it is, I hear it, but I don't like, it doesn't change the way I think about it. It doesn't, I don't go into it with that expectation. I go, that's what that person experience was. And, but if you believe that your body's going to start preparing for it and you've already had the experience and before you've even gotten there, I think that's a a big thing. So having the ability to put other people's opinions aside I guess in a way but also just look at what's happening around you and seeing the love for the things that are physically happening around you in that moment and trying not to have these expectations um, for what something's going to be like Um, finding yeah a reason to like love your work you said it way better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. No, it's, it's, yeah, that's, that's sort of it. Like, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta stop putting ideas into other people's heads about what they're going to encounter, but you also got to separate that when it does happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you, yeah, I think, I think you got it perfectly. Um, just keep the love going because everyone does go into it with love and just keep it going. So there would be some limiting beliefs this is kind of going along with that i guess what we were just saying some limiting beliefs that there is in the industry you know you're going to make no money you're going to be depressed you're going to be whatever it is yeah have you bought into those limiting beliefs before this is going along the lines of i guess what we were just saying and is there a way that you change have changed that or do you still struggle with that there's there, there are two, and I have thought about this a little bit. Like I do, sort of reflect on this sometimes, and I, and I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that because I want, I want your opinion on one of them as well. But mm-hmm. the first one is that um, if I reflect my value, it will come back on the client. What I mean by that is people are afraid to ask for pay rises because they believe that it will only add to the client's bill, and they're cutting off care. And that's obviously something that's very important to me is providing care for people who can't afford it. But that's just simply not true. Um, I, you know, I'm not across finances. I'm not financially literate when it comes to how practices run, how vets are really paid. But I don't believe that a vet who has $300,000 worth of knowledge in their head um, and who's putting in, you know, thousands of dollars of turnover, you know, of hundreds if not thousands of dollars of, of, of product every day can be paid a low amount. And that there's no wiggle room for vets to be paid more. Mm. Um, you know, some, some practices will charge, whether you ask for $10 an hour or $40 an hour, they will charge the client the same. So I don't believe that my value as a person, my value as a vet, should be dictated by how much, you know, sh- should 
um, yeah, be, be dictated by how much the client can afford. I believe there is more wiggle room than there actually is. Um, and the second one, because here's an interesting one, because this sort of contradicts all of what I've said about having like a clear goal towards getting into vet, and that's what pushed me forward. And, mm. and a lot of books, James Clear's Atomic Habits, he says, have a clear goal, essentially. All these habit mm -hmm. books so have yeah, a clear yeah, goal. Yeah. I know that's what you're into as well. Yeah, yeah, I love habits. And I write down my goals. And I found, actually, even today, this is a tangent, but today I've been doing my systematic review. And for anyone in fifth year, um, we have to do, we get to do, um, and that's actually one of the things that I had to tell myself today was I get to do this because I've put myself in the position that I've gotten to fifth year and this is something that fifth years get to do if they make it to my, my position. So that was one thing. But another thing that I didn't do today was I didn't write down my goals for, for today and I know that I've been sitting at my desk for... I don't know, seven hours today and I've gotten to the end of the day and I've been like, what did I do? Because I've kind of in that stage of the assignment where I'm just figuring out what the heck a systematic review is and mm. all I've got is this document yeah. which I have just rearranged all day and I didn't put that goal down today that today was a, think, a day to figure out what a systematic review is, put things in order um, start like looking at my references and I didn't do that. So now I've gotten to the end and I'm like, I feel like unsatisfied, like I haven't done anything. Um, so I think, yeah, it's important. Like I, I'm going to do that now each day. What am I doing today? So at the end of the day, I can look at my thing and be like, I did that. Yeah. And, yeah. and it'll give me that motivation to do that during the day and the satisfaction at the end of the day to cross that off and be like, this is what I did. I made progress. I didn't not do anything. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't get process, like you can't get, get progress without a clear goal. And that funnily enough is, and, and this is, I want your, your sort of input on this because I'm still not quite over this limiting belief, but the limiting belief is that um, I need to figure out what I want to do and go down the path of a specialty because otherwise I'm going to fall behind. I need to have a clear goal when I graduate of what I want to do. Right? Like, Because without a clear goal, I wouldn't have got out of bed when I was 15. I wouldn't have gone into vet science. I wouldn't have been able to build the habits that I've built. So clear goals are always at the top of my list. But now I'm like, I don't want to specialize when I graduate. I want to go to New Zealand and work on dairy cows. I want to go to America and do something else. Like I don't, I'm trying to actively not have a clear goal and limit myself into going into a specialty that I don't even know I want. So how, how, do, I achieve process, how do I achieve progress without a clear goal? Do I even need progress? Do I... Well, it depends you what know. I guess progress means to you. Mm. Like, oh, that's what I think a lot of people do as well. And I've heard a lot of, I guess, mentors as I've been on rotation this year, they kind of say that it's sometimes not, this is just everyone's situation differs, but it's not the best idea to go straight into something immediately. Yeah. And But I think, like, if it's an internship, I think a lot of us feel like, we have to do the next thing to be like worthy yeah. of, because yeah. otherwise I'm, oh, I'm like here now, I'm just like stationary. Yeah. But I guess for me, I, I see that like my goal next year, like I want to do mixed practice now, but before that I actually wanted to do, and I still do one day, want to do marine wildlife. Um, 
so what's my goal next year? I'm just going to be a mixed practice. What? Like, that's no progress. Mm. Well, I don't think that's right. Yeah. Because next year I'm going to be, well, firstly, I'm going to have my goals of becoming, just improving my clinical skills, improving my surgery and doing those things. But I've got goals in my life. I want, which I probably haven't been doing enough of, of, you know, going and spending time with family, of going to the beach and learning how to surf and doing kiteboarding. My life doesn't stop progressing because I am not progressing in the veterinary space. I'm going to be progressing in all these other aspects of my life next year. And I think that people don't take that into account. What you said is, I think, perfect. And that's sort of why I was even thinking about that limiting belief in the first place, because I've always, like, I, don't, I don't get sevens. I haven't gotten a seven since 10, 18, right? Like, I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not the best student. And I, I really deeply care more about my ability to communicate and, and that sort of thing and, and working on all the personal things as a vet. I tell, I tell first years, you know, when they, when they come to us about their grades, like, look, do you want to be someone who has not developed past the age of 19 but gets sevens? Or do you want to be a 23, 24-year-old who is more confident in yourself, who might have got a five or a six or, what, you know, four in mm. a couple of subjects and that sort of thing. So, yeah, definitely working personally is such a, a clear, like having clear goals personally. Yeah. yeah and I think it's, a it's lot huge. of students neglect that because you become the vet student and then that's your whole identity. Mm. But that's not my identity at all for me anyway. And I think that's how I'm going to succeed is because I know that I'm more than that and I'm going to work on other aspects of my life. Like I want to start a small business, which I've actually started. We won't say what it is. <laughs> and it's got a, it's not even about the business for me. It's about the, the mission behind what that is. And that's given me this whole other passion and this other area I can progress in and I can still be a vet student and I can still next year not be progressing as fast as maybe some of the interns, but look at my life next year. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yeah. So that's, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That's, I, yeah. It's that self-belief. That, exactly. And I don't, I don't buy into, I don't know, other people's limiting beliefs because I know that, you know, I'm going to do things and you're gonna be a rock star mate you're gonna be so good at what you do you're gonna be so good at what you do and it sounds like kind of like i'm not trying to talk myself up here it's just like i just have that belief and i don't and i see that my life is maybe more than the vet degree isn't the best way to put it but that's i guess yeah the crux of it yeah you don't you don't need to be and i feel like this is what like to answer your question maybe what you're struggling with if you want to go and help in these low socioeconomic areas, that's amazing. Like, okay, maybe you won't progress in your veterinary skills as much, but there's lots of veterinary skills. What about your communication skills? Mm. What about the lives you're going to save next year or when you graduate because you're able to talk differently to those clients than a vet that doesn't have the experience that you have and you're going to be able to get them a better level of treatment? Yeah. Because yeah. of skills other than the classic veterinary skills, your communication yeah. skills, your relatedness, all of those things. So I think that's something that maybe you yeah, I, I should think about, like what else that, you, yeah. you bring and what does it mean to be a, a veterinary human? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Uh, that's good. That's good. No, yeah, you're right. Because there is there is a human part of it too. One of the one of the vets in my work actually, she went to um, she graduated. She went in. She got in out of high school, but she graduated a couple of years ago now. Um, and she went to I believe it was Botswana for six months. And so she was a fresh grad. She only had I think it was like four or five months of practice out. And she went straight to Botswana. And she tells me how she used to have ten dogs come in a day. She'd be doing you know one surgery and then the next surgery and the next surgery. Um, and she only had a microscope and a stethoscope, and that was it. And she is way better. She's a way better surgeon. She's a way better communicator. She's way better, like way more confident. Mm. She didn't get, to, you know, she didn't choose this big um, internship at the University of, of Glasgow or wherever it was um, that she graduated from. But she chose these skills, and she's she's an absolute brilliant vet. She is so good. Mm-hmm. And she didn't choose that pathway of of trying to keep up with her peers. But now she's a machine. Like she's an absolute yeah. machine. Like she's, she just did what? She, yeah, she she, she became better as a person, and she yeah. developed the skills yeah. she wanted to, and she she went out and did something different. And I don't want to limit myself in doing that. You know, I want to I want to build who I am as a person, and and eventually have my value and and what I can bring back to the veterinary degree reflect that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think we could talk for a long time and. <laughs> I'm really getting into it right now, but for the listeners, I guess, um, we should kind of like start wrapping it up. Um, but there's one question that I do like to ask to everyone. And it is, if you had all the veterinary industry, no, for you, I want it to be, if you had all of the vet students in front of you and the people aspiring to be in vet the people that can't think, that are, they're thinking they can't get into vet, or the people that they're not think maybe they're not worthy. What would you say to those people? That is, that is such a good question, and I love that you framed it that way. I love that you framed it that way. If I could look back at fifteen-year-old Jack or all the ki- you know all the kids who want to go and get into vet school, or even people who are in vet school, I think. I would, I think the most obvious thing for me is to take value from your challenges, take value from what you've already done. Like my cohort is, you know, now two and a half years through. Some of these years sucked and they were hard and everyone struggled and everyone struggled, but it seems like we get to the next exam and we forget what we've been through. You know, the kid who's taking care of their mum at home or catching the train to school every day thinks I'm not worthy of getting into vet science, but they've already done so much. Look back on your challenges and look back on what you've already overcome and don't forget them. Have them, you know, use them as a source of pride um, and to know that you can do vet science. It's, it's what gives me confidence in myself. I know that I've overcome what I've overcome, so vet school's not gonna stop me. And every single person, yourself and everyone in vet school has those same situations. So look back at your challenges and what you've overcome and don't see getting into vet school or completing vet school as something that's out of the ordinary because you've already done heaps of, heaps of cool shit. So like, yeah. yeah, look at your challenges and and have a bit of self-belief. Draw from your experiences. Take um, value. Yeah, you don't need to do something challenges. else. Yeah, you don't need to do something else mm-hmm. to, to be a vet student. You've already overcome what you've overcome. You don't need to do anything more because you'll always have to do something more. Yeah, reframe your challenges. Mr. Jack Berry. One day to be Dr. <laughs> Hopefully. Thank Hopefully. you for coming and having this conversation today. We're probably going to keep talking 
after this. Cheers, mate. And yeah. But, um, I'm keen to see yeah. this 80 minute long podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the two people that are still like listening. But no, honestly, thank you for coming today. You've like driven a long way and it's a chunk of time out of your day. But I know that, you know, there's going to be someone listening and especially with your story being quite unique. Um, I hope that those people are really inspired by you and that now there's a train coming past. <laughs> We've got to wrap <laughs> it, it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. But yeah, I guess with this train coming in, that's a side. And, um, wrap it up, wrap it up. No, Jack, we got thank it. you for being <laughs> a veterinary human. Thanks for the space, Ben. Appreciate it, mate. <laughs> <laughs>